Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The, prod- the podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way. So you'll be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity. We'll hear stories of how authentic leaders came to be who they are, and we will create a platform for you to submit questions that you would like us to address on all the different topics that we talk about here and in my books. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley. I am super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. Welcome, Haley. Always Hello. good to uh, to be with you for another episode. How are you doing today? I'm good, Daddy. How are you? Are you you were, you were just had a little bit of a hiatus because you were taking care of your body and becoming uh, a patient. How was that, Dad? Why on earth did you need surgery? <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I do a lot of work in healthcare, but it's a very different experience when you're on the bedside. And I haven't, honestly, I have not been. It was a little traumatic for me because the last time I was in a hospital overnight was when I was four years old and I went through a very traumatic experience with uh, polio meningitis and was in an oxygen tent and uh, didn't know when my parents were going to be back. Back in those days, when you had a virus like that, you they didn't allow any visitors. So I remember these, these uh, you know, highly protected, geared up nurses that would feed me under the oxygen tent and it was very traumatic for me at the age of four so i i think i had some of that trauma re uh re-triggered in just anticipating this whole experience but i've i've been dealing with this uh, as you know this hiatal hernia for the last several years i have this inherited condition of this hernia in the top part of my stomach so for those of you who are not um uh, anatomy uh <laughs> proficient uh, esophagus experts, if you will, (laughs) just give you a very quick overview. So this hiatal hernia moves my stomach up and it also uh, stops. uh, You're you're supposed to have a sphincter muscle at the bottom of your esophagus. And for those of you who are medically trained, bear with me if I have this wrong, but you're supposed to have this, this sphincter muscle at the bottom of your esophagus that keeps acid from going into your esophagus when you lie down. And, um, Mine hasn't been working because of this hiatal hernia. It's it it the the soft the sphincter muscle doesn't work properly. So they have this procedure called a Nissan flendification, which it wraps the he wraps the top of the the surgeon wraps the top of the stomach around the esophagus and creates a new sphincter muscle so that it's a firm mm. muscle so that food can get into your stomach but not come back up into the esophagus. It's not a good thing to get acid in your esophagus. It'll wear away at it. It'll, it can cause cancer. And when I'd lie down at night, it would be up in my mouth acid. So I had to get it resolved and we kept trying to manage it with medication. And finally I had to just bite the bullet and say, you know what, I'm going to go in and get this surgery done. But it was, uh, I, I underestimated the disruption to my system. Um, so, so it, it, you go under anesthetic and it's, it, it really impacts you mentally, physically. And uh, I went through a variety of moods in the first week and I'm really, it's been two weeks now. So I'm really coming out of the, uh, the transition. 
What was uh so initially, like, I guess, like, how are you feeling going into it? Cause going under is like, and you know, like, like that's a pretty scary thing to go under and to lose that kind of control. Like, what was that like? Well, the, 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 and I'll talk about the hospital experience, but the, it, the staff were very supportive. I mean, they've got hospitals um, I'll talk about in a second, but they've got great processes for this and people were very reassuring. So it, it was, I was, there was certainly some anxiety, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of support and a lot of team support. So the anesthetist came to visit me and she was uh, before we, they wheeled me into the surgery room. She was so funny. Uh, she said, you know, they kept asking me is the doctor has Dr. Partridge come to see you yet? And, and uh, I said, no. And she, oh, she's off for lunch. So when she came, I said, well, did you finally get your lunch? And, and she says, oh, I hope I don't smell like garlic because uh, I just, I, gave, I had this big garlic salad. So, so she put me at ease and she was Aww. very human. And it really, you know, I talk a lot in my work, as you know, about psychological safety, about creating a safe place for people to be who they are. And it really helped my anxiety level to have the humanity amid these doctors. The surgeon came and visited with me ahead of time, put his hand on my shoulder and just say, is there anything that you need to help you, uh, to help you get through this and reassured me, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get you through this. And I have to tell you, I haven't slept like this in weeks, in years, not just weeks, years. Um, Just so it's really, I'm so positive. The other thing is that that came out of it was that I found out that the stomach was actually pushing into my lungs so that I didn't have full lung capacity. And so by moving my stomach down and resolving this hiatal hernia issue, it's given my lungs more capacity to really fully take deep breaths. So I feel like I have a new lease on life. It's been great. Wow. So what in particular, I mean, you you mentioned a little bit about, you know, being um, human, but what did support actually look like at the hospital? Like what makes a good nurse from a great nurse? And I, I know like, you know, healthcare workers, especially, you know, in all of the anger following the pandemic, healthcare workers definitely had a, you know, they were the heroes. And then there was so much anger, undue anger uh, towards them. Uh, and they kind of became these like scapegoats, I guess, for a lot of political parties and things like that. And then um, so and and I, I like it is not an easy profession by any means. And it takes a, a, a very specific kind of person to be able to to go through um, you know, those 12 hour shifts and all those different conditions. So what made such a, 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 from a good nurse to a great nurse and not just nurses, but medical staff in general? Well, you know, interesting. I'll just give a little bit of background here. Hospitals are the great levelers. Yeah. You know, it's, as we say, there's, as I learned in there, there's no designer labels <laughs> on a hospital gown, right? We're all in there together. Nobody cares what kind of car you drove to get there. Nobody cares what mm-hmm. kind of house you live in. Nobody cares what your income statement is when they look at your vitals. We're all leveled at a human level. And you know, hospitals are strange places because most of us are born in one. Many of us die in one. And in between, we often experience the worst days of our lives in mm-hmm. hospitals. That's true. And so it's a, it's a fascinating thing. And it's, for me, in my observation of hospitals, it's like this giant factory and everybody's doing their own little job and their own, everybody has a process. And every, the, I'll tell you, hospitals like airplanes got processes down perfectly. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, you know, there's a checklist uh, when you, before you take off on an airplane, there's always, there's a checklist. Every, every professional in a hospital has a checklist. This is what, and they know exactly what their procedures are. 
and they and it's like this big human factory and everybody's kind of doing their job to to make the factory run but i learned in my work with the royal alec hospital that you would know a few blocks from where where uh, mom grew up in edmonton they have a they have a saying in fact they've produced some videos around this uh from my work up there um i've learned from them there's a difference between care and caring so first of all, um, everybody is paid to care. We call it a health care system. I think it's probably more of a disease care system, but there's this sense of care. So everybody is expected in their job description to provide care, care of assessing your vitals, care of, you know, uh, making sure the procedures are are done properly for the for the surgery, care in everything that they do. But what's not on your job description is this thing called caring. And, you know, it, this can be applied beyond healthcare. Um, I mean, teachers are paid to care, to produce, you know, results, to have curriculum, whatever that might, your process might look like. Everybody's, everybody's got this care job. But caring goes beyond this. And it's, it's what I t talk about in my work about the difference between a transactional, the transactional component to our work and the transformational component. And what I discovered is the heroes in the hospital are the ones that really go, and, and in all organizations, that go beyond care, they go beyond their job description and go beyond the transaction to transformation. So uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, in my third day, I got very dark. I got very depressed. I got very uh, in middle of the night, staring up at the ceiling. I'm too weak to go anywhere. I'm in pain, um, and I'm I just want to scream and get out of there. I want to scream at the at anybody. And one of the nurses came in. Her name was Mary, and she's just this gentle East Indian lady, who who just has this gentle accent about her. And she pats my the palm of my hand and says, "Yeah, you know what." The third day after surgery is always the roughest. And this is the this is the the darkest night. And she said it'll get better by tomorrow. And you know, just having that reassurance. Um, when I got sent down at 7:45 the next morning um, for a, a, a radiology. So radiology is in the basement of the hospital. And uh, I went down to the basement. Now they wheel me down. There's porters that wheel you from, you know, so that. There, there's every there's all everybody's got this everybody's got their job and so there's this job called porters and all they do during the day basically is is transport patients because they don't want to have top rate uh they don't want to pay um you know highly trained medical professionals to be transporting patients so they have these very you know it, it's a good system so they have these porters well i got brought down there at 7 45 the radiologist is supposed to be there at eight o'clock seven o'clock in the morning. So the porter puts me in the waiting room. It's an outpatient. It's it's an outpatient unit so that uh, outpatients come in to radiology to get x-rays and et cetera. Uh, but I, here I am in my hospital gown in a wheelchair uh, in a lot of discomfort waiting for the radiologist. And I'm in the waiting room with the public with my hospital gown. Well, one of the radio radiology technicians came out to get me. Now, she didn't have to do that because the doctor wasn't ready yet. And it's really interesting because 
We all have waited for doctors. And what we don't understand is all the behind the scenes. It's like a, it's like the it's like a giant play. And when you get on this on and, and you get all this backstage work to make the performance happen. And then the doctor comes in and it all looks great with the performance. But behind the scenes, there's this whole team of people that have to get you ready. And they weren't really ready for me, but there was a technician who just sat and just said, Oh, what, you know, how are you doing? And she just listened. And the doctor was probably half an hour late. So I didn't get seen by the radiologist. Um, so they have to put this stuff down your throat and they have to take this x-ray and you haven't eaten for, you haven't had any, any food at all for, uh, for I think 12 hours. So, uh, so I'm, you know, low on blood sugar. I've been living on IV and, uh, and this, nice little techno technician sat with me and just listened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her, you know, she's got this whole team that's busy, you know, preparing whatever they need to do, but she just was personal. She didn't have to do that. She pulled me away from the public waiting room because, um, you know, she wanted to kind of respect my dignity in this hospital gown. And so we went and, and she, it was, how do you describe caring when someone actually goes beyond their job description and just expresses caring? It's not a technique. It's not something you learn in a leadership course. It just comes from your heart and you make the time to do that. So that's another example. Now, the, the doctor, I never even talked to the doctor. He's sitting behind the screen. He's watching the x-ray. It's a transaction to the doctor. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what his world is like, but He's looking at a computer screen while I drink this horrid stuff that goes down my esophagus and they're assessing the whole thing. So that's the difference between the, the transaction and the transformation. And so mm -hmm. that's, you just notice and recognize the difference. The one last story that I could share is uh, probably five o'clock in the morning. They have these tubes where all of the discharge from the surgery gets put into this little tube, which goes into a little bulb, and then they clean the bulb out. And it's kind of like making sure that all the discharge uh, is away. Well, for some reason or other, one of my restless nights, I was in there three nights, and one of my restless nights, I inadvertently pulled this tube out. Jesus. And so, and they can't really put it back in again. They just kind of have mm -hmm. to patch it over and hope that you don't get too much discharge into just, you know, dispersed into your body. And uh, I don't understand the whole technical side of this, but <laughs> this nurse came in and said, how on earth, in, in this kind of tone, how on earth did you pull this out? Do you know how hard it is to pull this out? And she was not in a good mood. Like this is five o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> I made up my mind that no matter what response that I had, and I had, I had just reviewed uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's First Search for Meaning, who lived through this Jewish concentration camp. And he made up his mind when he was in there that he was going to be a helper. He was yeah. going to be a supporter, no matter what. He was, he, you know, he, he, there's a, there's a great quote in his book, Man's Search for, Search for Meaning, that the last of the human freedoms is the freedom of choice. And he says, I'm wow. going to choose to be a giver. And I made up my mind when I went in the hospital, whether there were negative patients, where there was negative staff, you know, I, I believe that life is a mirror. And whatever we give, will be reflected back to us. 
So I said, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a supporter. So this nurse came in just horrible in a horrible mood. And I, and I, I said, okay, I wanted to get defensive with her. I, I, and I did get a little defensive. I said, I didn't mean to pull it out. It, I didn't do it purposefully. It just, <laughs> I had a restless night and I spilt my water at the same time. I, I must've been flailing at night. It, it, <laughs> I, I spilt my water that was on the bedside table and I pulled this thing out inadvertently. And so, and she, and she just was gruff and she just shook her head and I don't understand this. And so she took the cord and put it in a little dish and put it over by the window. And then I said to her, it sounds like you've had a long night. And she got really quiet and really apologetic. And she said, yeah, I'm at the end of a double shift. I've been in here 16 oh, hours. My God. And I realized, why did you? And then I asked her, I said, why did you have to stay 16 hours? She said, she said, we were, we're short staffed. We don't have anybody to cover. I don't have anybody to cover for me. And then at that moment, I realized she would never abandon a patient. She might not be the, has the best bedside manner, but she would make sure that the care, she wasn't very caring, but she made sure that the fundamental care got done. And she did soften in this process of a little bit of empathy. She had her heart in the right place. And I began to realize how many of those professionals would never abandon a patient. They would never, um, but, you know, unfortunately, and it's not necessarily a noble virtue uh, for their own health, but um, there are some, there are professionals in there who absolutely would sacrifice themselves and never leave a patient unattended. So you see the, you see the spectrum, but I got to tell you, Haley, in the, in the three and a half days I was in the hospital, I had that experience. Um, I, for the most part, they're just a bunch of heroes. They're my heroes. They they are dedicated. They're professionals. They do it. You know, they're uh, they're doing this because of the love of the work that they have and their love for patients. And uh, and so the whole experience was very moving. And it was I'm still reeling from it because then there's the whole recovery process when I got home and and you know just checking in with myself and just adapting to this you know to this new lease that I have on life. But the whole experience was quite profound for me. What I really like too is it's, you know, it's these, this group of people who are working in a system that is really hard to work in, right? It's that hustle culture. It's the, there's not a lot of resources, like people are leaving healthcare at unprecedented rates, right? And, but the fact that you're able to, because I think like to go above and beyond when you're working in a 16 hour shift, that can, that can sound like a lot that can be really, really hard, right? But for you to then appreciate it, right? And to have that I really like this, this model of, you know, and I, I think about this a lot at, at my work with, with teams that when you're working with people and you're in a community of people, right. And, and in this case, like you're, you're part of the hospital community, right. You are a patient, there are, there are employees, right. It's, it's that give and take and recognize that somebody might be having a bad day, but you don't need to add to it. You can appreciate it and help her soften and, and just be understanding and listen. Right. And if you're in somewhere where, you know, you see you as a patient, uh, and you're, you know, you have the energy in you to, to, to give that sense of caring, to be there, to listen, to go above and beyond. I think it's just being more perceptive and aware of who people are and where they might be in, in, in their life as you interact with them. And, and do you need to be the person who can be there and support and listen and empathize, right? Because you have the capacity for that. Or are you the one who needs to, you know, ask for help and reach out a little bit more too? Yes, and I, I, I think it 
begs the challenge for us all that this is not just a healthcare thing. It's it's yeah. a it's a life challenge. How can I bring caring to everything that I do and remember our humanity that we're mm -hmm. all just kind of doing the best that we can on this journey together. And especially when there are so many things going on in our in our world, like talks of a recession and dealing with with everything post COVID and a changing world, right? And and you know that that the hustle grind culture, which is just that you must be always increasing at all costs and, and improving, and and that's really exhausting and it's it's not sustainable. Um, and so to have compassion for people who are forced to do so and are are, are sacrificing themselves you know, people in the healthcare industry who are just doing the best that they can and, and um, to have compassion and things like that as well. And then also doing what we can to support it so that people don't have to work those 16 hour shifts, right? That's, that's not sustainable. That's not good. People should be able to love their job and not feel burnt out at the end. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting our healthcare system very spread, very spread thin. And I think many of us are spread thin today. And we see it in anxiety. You see it in anxiety with parents. You see it with anxiety with kids. And there's a there's an awakening to humanity mm -hmm. that I think is what's called for here. Mm -hmm. And that we begin to understand that, you know, hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And so if we're hurting each other, it means that, you know, as, as we say in the in the family violence uh, world, that, you know, violence is what happens when you don't know what to do with your suffering. And so I think we all to some degree are suffering and let's let's be in this together where we're supporting each other through this as mm -hmm. opposed to judging each other through it so that we can allow these times to bring out a sense of humanity. There's a lot of unsettledness in the world today. Mm -hmm. And I think it it uh there there's a call to humanity that I that I that I would like us to both uh, share in this in this podcast. And to, to not like to look for the helpers and to be a helper when you have the capacity for it, you know, and to, to take those, those lessons from the hospital and, you know, look for, look for the good, look for the, what was the woman's name? And, and Mary, right? Mary was the woman, yeah, Mary. Right? Yeah. right? Look for Mary's and, and appreciate the Mary's when you find them and when you can and have capacity to be a Mary too. Exactly. And whatever we do, you know, whether it's uh conversation with the teller whether the you know the clerk at, at at the grocery store there's there's an opportunity for transformational moments in those quiet moments when we just you know let's not make life a series of transaction you know when we go to the grocery store you know it's if we're not careful we just give our credit card to the clerk and the clerk gives us the groceries and then we go our way but maybe we could make room for a little bit of humanity in those interactions and, and bring out a sense of caring in, in our interactions. And I'm, I get busy as everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, and forget this, Oh, let's just get the groceries done. Let's just, uh, but you know, even when we're cooking supper with our, with a loved one, um, uh, to look, stop, instead of just having that supper be a transaction, stop and look in each other's eyes and appreciate the love that you have between you so that you can not have life just be one series of transactions after another that we can make room to make a connection in any given moment it doesn't take a lot of time but it it means that we have to stop and be present to the pause i really 
like that. Well, I think that's a good segue to what you're grateful for this week, Dad. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for modern medicine. I'm grateful that this surgery, this procedure was originally done by Albert Einstein's surgeon named after oh. him. Um, oh. And they've really perfected it since the 1950s. But uh, I'm grateful for medical medical technology um, and for the new lease on life that I have. I'm grateful for the love in my life. I'm grateful for the support that I've had through this uh, recovery process uh, where I've, you know, learned to, I'm just, my my main recovery is just learning to de uh, breathe deeply and retraining my lungs. So I'm just grateful for this, for my life and for uh, love and for uh, a, a new newfound freedom. And that, you know, like this, this can be a moment for you to find that, to be present, to pause, right? To appreciate the world around you instead of going transaction to transaction, right? Like this recovery can be that for you too. Well, I don't want to lose touch with this. I mean, you get, yeah. you get kind of close to death, which is coming out of uh, anesthetic. Uh, you feel close to, you know, just like, just let's just end this thing. Um, but uh, I don't want to forget, you have these near-death experiences, right? In my own little way here. And, uh, and then you get back into the tyranny of the urgency and the tyranny of the transaction of life. And and I just don't want to forget this moment that I have at this time, uh, the importance of humanity and to bring that more fully into my work and my life. Yeah. I like that. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful that your recovery is going well and that the surgery went well. There was always those little moments like, you know, I, I, I trust, you trust modern medicine, but there's always those moments where like, Oh no, you know, so just eagerly awaiting to hear how you're doing. So I'm grateful that everything went well. And, and I'm grateful for spring, even though with it comes allergies. So I'm just grateful. I just always love this time of year. Cause it just feels like there's just a lot of hope and freshness and newness. And, and, you know, we're not, we're, we're out of the hustle and bustle of midwinter and we're into like reflecting and appreciating the, 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 the newness of, of the season. So I really appreciate that too. It's a great time of year. Yeah. And it's a definitely. great time to be alive. Definitely. So until next time, everybody stay real. And Haley, as always, thank you very much for this conversation. It's always a, a treat and inspiration and a great source of strength and uh, nourishment for me. Likewise, dad, I feel the same way.